So Money episode 1033, Heather Chauvin, leadership coach and host of the Mom is in Control podcast. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I had to surrender. I had to surrender and really kind of stop trying to control every aspect of my life and realize that, you know, hustling can only get you so far until it can't get you any further anymore. Many of us may feel like we've hit rock bottom this year, health-wise, financially. Our guest today, Heather Chauvin, was diagnosed with stage four cancer six years ago, and she says it was the kick in the pants that she needed to feel alive and actually become wealthy. Today, Heather is a leadership coach and a strategic parenting expert who helps ambitious women become leaders at work and at home. She's the host of the Mom is in Control podcast, where she talks about her most vulnerable truths about womanhood, marriage, parenting. And on this podcast, she gets very honest and open about her experience living through stage four cancer, how she managed to afford this. She had to come up with $1,000 a week to afford the treatments. Before she fell ill, she was managing a family of five, barely making ends meet. But through this diagnosis, Heather was able to shift her mind, shift her business and her relationship with money. Today, she is cancer-free and spreading her message, especially in these times when we feel like we don't have much in our control. But Heather says we absolutely do. Here's Heather Chauvin. Heather Chauvin, welcome to So Money. Farnoosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for initiating this. You reached out um, with your own personal story that we we really thought, given what's happening right now in the world, so much uncertainty, everybody feeling like they're getting hit with curveballs, losing their jobs, getting sick, perhaps losing a loved one to this disease, um, that you and your life experience is really helpful for people to learn from right now how you managed with your family in your personal diagnosis of stage four cancer to overcome that and become the woman that you are today. That journey, so many important lessons for everyone, I think, to hear right now because talk about curveball. You know, Mm -hmm. you got six years ago a diagnosis that for a lot of us, we would hear that and think, it would be a death sentence. Well, you tell me when you heard that, what was the reaction that you experienced and and how did you initially come to terms with it? Yeah. So it was actually something I avoided for a long time, which was my health. And um, I believed I didn't have time to take care of myself. I believed that any symptoms I had, because there were symptoms for a while, um, I didn't have time. I bought into this, the martyr syndrome that a lot of women buy into, especially when we're raising young children. My boys are uh, 15, 10 and seven, but my youngest was a year old and I was still breastfeeding. And I went to the hospital and they told me, um, from doing a CT of my abdomen and blood work told me in the emergency room that I had cancer. And even then for I was like, Oh, I'm young. It's going to be stage one. And then through other diagnosis, they're like, no, Heather, you have stage four. This is a rapid growing cancer. And if we don't do something about it now, 
Like you're not going to make it to next week. And I had to surrender. I had to surrender and really kind of stop trying to control every aspect of my life and realize that, you know, hustling can only get you so far until it can't get you any further anymore. Um, and I rearranged my priorities, but it was a huge smack in the face, but it was also an opportunity for me to kind of reassess how I wanted to feel in my life. Um, and yeah, there was a lot to learn when, you know, when anything happens to you like that and you feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you, um, you start to realign and ask yourself some deep questions. Hmm. Well, and immediately you need healthcare, which right. I understand was to the tune of a thousand dollars a week for additional treatments. And, and, you know, again, not to um, make light of the situation because right now some people have lost their jobs, not the same as being diagnosed stage four cancer, but financially in some ways, a similar burden, right? Where you have to suddenly mm-hmm. like come up with the money to survive. In your case, it was life or death. And how did you financially work your way through this, let alone, you know, the mental work and the the emotional, the emotional healing? Mm -hmm. So I live in Canada. So the traditional treatment was actually covered. But when I was left, um, you know, and the doctor's like, okay, you're good. We've gotten you to as far as we possibly can. Your tests are great, meaning your tests are like, you're free to go. And I felt like somebody just it sounds awful. I don't know why this analogy is coming to my mind. It's like your first day out of prison, right? They're like, you're free, you're free. And there I am saying you're in remission, but my body felt like I was a hundred years old. My soul was broken. And I truly felt like if I didn't do something else, it was going to come back because I did not know how to nurture myself. So that was when I dove into functional medicine. And that was where I had to start paying, you know, a thousand dollars a week plus, um, to revitalize my body and to make those choices because it was outside of quote unquote conventional medicine. That was a personal choice that I had to make. Um, but I had to kind of I was against, my back was against the wall and I had to come that come to Jesus moment where I had to ask myself, Heather, are you committed to making this work? And I did everything I possibly could. Like Farnoosh, we were maxing out credit cards. We were selling everything that we possibly could. Like when people say, you know, when there's a will, there is a way. My will was so big because I just wanted to live for my boys. Like I did not want them to grow up without a mother. And I understand some of us don't have control over that, but I felt like I'm still alive. Now I need to learn how to thrive. I need to learn how to stay alive. And I did absolutely everything I possibly could to figure that out. I understand that you 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 wrote to me and you said, I stopped putting blind faith in my husband to handle the bills. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up believing that men are the ones who deal with the money and women, you know, we're the ones that make the extra cash and we, we, you know, whether we're buying the gifts or doing whatever. Um, I would, I remember my mother-in-law saying to me, just keep your job, which I wasn't making a lot of money. This was previous to cancer. And she said, just, you know, buy the groceries, honey. And I'm like, what? That's my purpose is to just buy the groceries, like just to get by. And after cancer, when one, I had to start investing in my health again, I'm like, okay, let's look at our money. I believe that we had more 
than what we actually had. And I would ask, how much is the car payment? And he would tell me what the car payment was. And then when we actually did the math, I'm like, it's three times as much as what you thought it was. And I realized I was putting all of this confidence onto him when yet he didn't have any more financial literacy than I did. And then in terms of cutting back, what what are the things you cut back on to shore up $4,000 a month? I mean, it, that sounds like you just have to move or yeah. sell all your belongings and and you're a big family, so it, it's making adjustments like that can be hard. What what specifically did you cut out? So the interesting part was I didn't believe that we could afford it. I did not believe that we could afford it, but I had this belief that I was going to survive. Like I had this hard belief, like we're going to make this happen. So like I said earlier, we were maxing out every credit card that we possibly could. I remember calling the phone, like calling our um, phone companies and taking the data off of our phone so that we just had our minimum Wi-Fi. And they tried so hard to keep it on our phone. And I'm like, no, it's an extra $40 a month or $60 a month or whatever it was. I think one of us actually got rid of our phone so that we only had one for the household. Um, we had a old camper trailer that we would go camping with the kids every summer. We sold that just to get whatever we could. And because we were living in a financial kind of survival mode, we cut back on all the food essentials. Like we were eating beans and rice. And although that's not great for your health, um, we went back to absolutely everything that we possibly could. The kids didn't get essentials unless they needed it. Um, clothes, underwear, things like that. We asked for as much as we possibly could from friends and family if they wanted to donate like hand-me-downs and things like that. But every penny was accounted for. Asking for help is a big one, right? I think that's hardest for a lot of people is succumbing to asking for help. It feels a, a, li- a bit defeatist, but it, it, I think that in some ways, if you have the courage to do that, that can be sometimes your saving grace. Mm-hmm. I remember um, when I was first, this is actually part of one of my biggest learnings was learning to receive. And I remember when I was diagnosed that people stopped. There were you, of course, you always have those people. If you need anything, let me know. But there was people that just took initiative and would literally drop food off at the house. My friends, you know, made a basket and they put even some put checks in there or money or gift certificates. And I wasn't allowed to say no thank you because I was so, so sick. So it would just come into my house and I had to learn how to receive. And I would say that's been one of the biggest game changers when it comes to even receiving money, like in my business, the give and receive, um, that was a big part I was missing and I didn't know I was missing it. So I know we all resist, you know, asking for help, but when you do, and it feels lighter, what I find is you're learning you're actually doing the other person a service as well because they want to help. They have this, you know, yearning in their heart to be of service to you. So when you are open and say, yes, yes, you can, you're helping them as well. You mentioned you were so weak and of course you were, you had stage four cancer. How were you able to work? We talked about the cutting back part of the equation, but in terms of bringing the money in, how did you manage to do that? And and what impacted your your health crisis have on income? So this is actually interesting. And I laugh because when I look back, 
I can't believe I did what I did. Um, one, I didn't know what critical illness insurance was back then. We didn't have any. Um, I had to make money to make ends meet. My husband was working. He now works within my company, but he was working and he would just get by. So we needed that little extra money that I had. So the clients that I had, they stayed with me. Here is the weird part. And I truly believe that this is, you know, when people say, do what you love and the money will follow. I was absolutely doing the work that I love, which was helping these women. And I remember, um, in the hospital, literally getting chemo, like during the time I'm getting chemo, it's like being injected into my body. I'm watching it go in through the bag and I'm on the phone coaching my clients for news. And these women are like, Heather, I have no more problems. <laughs> I have no more problems. Yeah. And I came alive. It was what fueled me. And I actually think it was a big part of my recovery process was doing work that I absolutely love. And, um, I just, you do what you need to do. There would be days where I was supposed to work and I couldn't work. So I found those little pockets of time and I really tried to show up and muster up as much energy as I had to get a little bit of work done here or there. Um, and then post recovery, when my energy started coming back, I completely shifted my mindset and focused on um, the strategic revenue generating activities and stopped cutting off my arms and legs to serve everybody else and started asking myself, like, what's the business you want to run? How do you want to feel when you're serving your clients? Let's talk about your business today. How exciting. Uh, I know that you are still in the sort of parent coaching space, but you have pivoted within that and you've expanded too to provide your services and your advice through multimedia podcasts. Um, tell us, brag up, brag a little bit about your, your accomplishments because, um, I was laughing because I'm like, you know, a good sign of loving your job is when you like work through lunch. But for you, it was throwing up in a bag and still yeah. doing your job. <laughs> Not many people can say that that is the test. Um, yeah, you're like bald and just puking your guts uh, out and it's coming out of both ends. Um, but yeah, I love the work that I do. And, you know, my health journey is a big part of my message and my story, but it's not, it's not who I am. I think it just goes to show you resiliency, right? Like what is happening to you is happening for you. Like it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. And it is what it is. Like everything that comes into our life is there for us to sift through and to really understand and to learn the lessons from. And a lot of the women that I attract will say, Heather, not this. And a lot of times those women are ambitious go-getters, CEOs, the stay at home mom. Who's like, I need more in my life. And she's just a woman that wants more. And she needs to give herself permission to want that or to take her life to the next level. And that can be in business. It can be in her personal life. And so when I pulled back the curtains and I asked myself, okay, how did I get myself from the hospital bed to the stage or from the hospital bed to feeling energetic while I'm raising three boys and, you know, doing all the things. And I had to reverse engineer how I wanted to feel. And I realized it's not just the stay at home mom. It's not the CEO. It's not the business owner. It's all women who really want to feel alive in their lives. And yet we don't know how. And that was my biggest fear. What I realized when, um, I was in recovery. I remember having one night in, actually I was at home 
I was on the floor in the bathroom and I was crying. I was so afraid. Um, I don't know if I was in between treatments or what it was, but I was so afraid of dying. It was just, it washed over me. It's like, you're going to die. You're going to die. And so I cried on the bathroom floor, of course, holding in my tears so that no one else, cause I don't want to make anyone else's life inconvenient. And I kept saying to myself, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And this other voice came in and said, but you're not afraid of dying, Heather you do not know how to feel alive. And that was a huge gut punch for me. And so now it's my mission, whatever I do, whether it's my coaching, my podcasts, you know, when I'm speaking on stages, it's how can we feel alive as women in our businesses, in our parenting, in every aspect of what we do. And I believe now the more alive we feel, the bigger impact we can make. And that's exactly what the world needs because we're showing our children what they can accomplish as well. What are some synonyms for alive? Oh, good one. I don't know. Like alignment, energized, healthy. Mm -hmm. Your podcast is called Mom is in Control podcast. And I wonder if control has something to do with it to feel like you're in the driver's seat. Well, yes. And the whole concept, I actually um, didn't like uh, mom is in control. So when I was working with a branding coach, she's like, everyone wants to feel in control, Heather. And I felt it was such a masculine dominant, like mom is in control. But here's the thing. Feeling in control of your life is not about controlling things externally. So a lot of times people will say, why isn't my children, you know, why aren't my children listening to me? Well, it's not about controlling the fact that your children, you need to get them to listen to you. It's putting the reflection back on yourself and saying, what do I need to feel in control? Am I listening to myself? So when things feel out of control, It's not about trying to manically control them. It's saying, what's not working here? Where am I not taking responsibility? And then kind of reverse engineering the action that you need to take to create the reality that you desire. So yeah, feeling in control is about feeling that from the inside out. I have a hack for all you moms and dads listening is making bedtime two hours earlier. Than I what saw that on yes. your Instagram stories. Talk about mom was not in control and giving up that responsibility. I just thought, well, with the quarantine, what is time? Yeah. And you don't <laughs> What's really one more have- movie or one more hour of play? Um, yeah. I felt bad because they were cooped up inside. I'm like, they just want to like be with us. And But oh no, it was really bad because it necessarily meant that by the time they would be in bed, my husband and I were beat and we didn't even have time for ourselves to like do whatever we wanted to do in the evening hours. And so we, and you know what? They needed the sleep we did, you know, now they're going to bed like an hour and a half earlier. Um, instead of eight 30, they're going to bed at like seven or seven fifteen, And it's made a world of a difference in their behavior. I think that, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was not an adjustment. They just did it. And that just goes to show you. (laughs) Boundaries are a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. It's, uh, I just feel like right now, Heather, it's hard to maintain those boundaries, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's so much uncertainty in the outside world. You're not allowed to leave your house. And, um, the routines that we're used to are just not physically possible anymore. So it really does require a lot of 
conscious revisiting of your day to day and kind of getting really creative? I just had that moment with myself where I've been lax for the last few weeks. And um, the beauty is when you have implemented boundaries or, you know, habits in your life, and then all of a sudden you look and go, oh my gosh, not this, not this, you know, get, get back in routine. It, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it is showing you that's the whole point, right? How do you want to feel? Okay. There's so much I can't control right now, but I can control the bed, the kids going to bed a little bit earlier or, you know, shifting the bedtime routine. And that gives you a little, a little place of sanity. When you found out you were cancer free, take me back to that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was too good to be true. Um, in all honesty, I remember, um, I think it wasn't the moment of being cancer free, but it was the moment when, um, I got past that remission phase, the, um, relapse phase. That's what I'm trying to say. So 10 months out. And for those 10 months, I was so routine with my supplements and getting my vitamin C infusions and doing all of that. And I remember when I met that 10 month mark, um, you know, it almost makes me emotional because I think I was like, I did it. It was like, and I, I accomplished and followed through with the goal. Like I'm still here. Um, it really proved to myself that if you had focus and consistency, anything is possible. And it was, it was hard. It kind of felt like those, those 10 months before were almost like quarantine where you're like, am I going to make this out alive? I can't handle this anymore. And it is true you know, that saying this too shall pass. Um, but it was, it was a magical moment. And I just knew that things were going to change, that I was going to have more awareness in my life in all aspects, including, um, including things that I avoided before like money. You hired a money coach. And I know that that for many people um, is so helpful, not a certified financial planner who's going to help you with, you know, your investments and your money management, but really getting you over certain mental obstacles. For you, what was the big revelation, the big kind of, you know, aha moment when in working with a coach and, and who's right for working with a coach, you think? Um, so I actually just had this conversation with a colleague as well, and she's in the space and we were talking about, you know, our traditional models of how we learn about money, whether it's like you think you're CPA or budgeting or financial planner or whatever it is. And for me, I needed both of strategy, but I also needed somebody who understood the mindset of it and the energy of money. And I remember I used to avoid those conversations, Farnoosh. Like I purchased this coaching program from this woman, which was one-on-one. -on -one, and then she'd say, okay, did you do your homework? And I'm like, yes. And then I would completely forget about some other aspect of it because my brain was just trying to run away. And I just felt sick and I wanted to cry all the time because I had so much shame around money. But I realized that what I was working through was all of my BS, like what I call like emotional poop, right? You're all of your stuff that you're working through to get to the other side of this financial freedom of looking and sifting and actually opening your bank accounts and learn and creating strategy on how to, you know, pay down this debt. Um, I think it is so, so important for every human being that walks on this planet to get that type of education because 
We all have to deal with money, whether you avoid it or not. It is just, it's a part of your life, just like drinking water. It's just how we exchange currency in, in our world for goods. And if you don't look at it, it will just continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it explodes in your face and understanding, you know, I had so many questions because we adopt these stories from other money people or our parents as well. And for the first time ever, some people would say to me, like this coach that I worked with, she's like, you can buy your lattes, Heather. It's not that you have to eat beans and rice all the time and that you can never enjoy anything again. It's just, we have to be mindful and intentional with it. And it was such a game changer because I never looked at it that way before. Wow. Your story, Heather. And how many years since you've been in remission? Or at least, uh, I guess, what what is a technical term now? Is it remission? Is it cancer? I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's remission. Um, It's been, yeah, it's been over six years, I believe last December. So like six Mm. and a half years. Um, And I would say that I'm healthier now than I've ever been in my entire life, like even as a teenager, um, because my mindset is not, okay, I'm cancer free. It's, what's next? What's next? I'm constantly um, asking myself, how good can it get? And that that's kind of like the mantra that I live by now is how good can it get? Money, time, energy, health, how good can it get? Parenting. (laughs) And I think, you know, focusing on, well, what is working? Yeah. You know, how good can it get and how good is it now? What are the things that I do have? You know, I've interviewed a lot of people who've experienced rock bottom, many of us going through that for the first time now, but a lot of us also have experienced this in other ways, whether it was because we had someone embezzle our life savings like Bernie Madoff, those Mm -hmm. people are out there, or you lost your home to a fire or you lost a spouse who was the breadwinner. Um, Focusing on what you do have, and that may be in that moment, your health or, you know, an asset like a home, your resources, your skills, your education, those are gifts and those are things that nobody can, you know, take away from you like they can your job in a pandemic. Or mm-hmm. I just feel like we at this point may feel like we don't have a lot that's in our control, but we do. We have a, we can choose how we look, decide to look at things. Yeah. I find it really easy because our brain has the negativity bias and I find it very easy to wake up in the morning and say, I just want to stay in bed and throw some Cheerios on the floor for the kids and lock the doors and make sure (laughs) everyone's alive and safe. But I know that that is not going to serve anybody. And although we can have moments like that and we all need them just to be able to say, screw it, I'm not, I'm not trying today or I'm not going to try for, you know, I'm going to take the morning off or whatever it is. Um, just something that you just said about, you know, our jobs have been, maybe have been taken away from you or something has been taken away, some freedom that you had. And, but yet you are still the same person and your stuff might come up and, you know, some contrast or some like negative feelings that you don't want in your life, but refocusing your mind on what do I have and how do I want to feel? And it's like simple things like, okay, how do I want to feel? I don't want to feel like crap when I wake up in the morning. So can I go do some jumping jacks? Do I have the privilege of being able to walk outside? I have a, I have a bike in my house. So I'm like on the bike for 20 minutes. Like what can I control? And I think because I was so eager during treatment and focused, and I didn't care what other people thought. And I just kept implementing, I noticed 
the impact that that has when you do hit your rock bottom, but look at what you've been able to create over and over and over again in your life. And just know that if you put that attention and effort on what you do want and just try a little bit each day, you will get somewhere. Heather Chauvin, thank you so much. Everybody check out heatherchauvin.com. You can actually get free mini training. And then of course your podcast is called Mom, Mom. is in Control. Yes. <laughs> I have to say it out loud because I don't believe it yet. I don't believe that I'm going to be in control <laughs> entirely. Yeah. Well, but it can happen. It's a belief, right? It's like, it's how we perceive what control is in our lives. Heather, thanks so much. Thanks, Manish. Thanks so much to Heather for joining us. Again, her website is heatherchauvin.com and her podcast again is the Mom is in Control podcast. All this information is on somoneypodcast.com where you can grab the transcript and you can listen and share the audio. Remember, send me your questions for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh by clicking on Ask Farnoosh on the website or hopping over to Instagram and sending me a direct message there. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.